Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sanabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of speaking with Sharif Almeki, who is the principal of Mastery Charter School, Shoemaker Campus, a neighborhood public charter school in Philadelphia that serves 750 students in grades 7 through 12. From 2013 through 2015, he was one of three principal ambassador fellows working on issues of education policy and practice with U.S. Department of Education Secretary Arne Duncan. Sharif believes that a child's zip code should not be an obstacle to receiving a strong and robust education that paves the way for success in a forever changing world. He also believes that it takes educated youth to make a positive impact on society, and schools should be direct and trustworthy partners for their surrounding communities. The role of educators is to ensure that their partnerships with families and community members are supportive of students in developing the academic and personal skills necessary to successfully serve and lead in their communities. Sharif is a strong proponent of excellence, no excuses mindset, and believes that school-based teams must continue to leverage their strengths on behalf of students in order to ensure the promise delivered to families is fulfilled. His team at the Shoemaker campus have been recognized by President Obama and Oprah Winfrey for having created a school that partners with communities to turn around failing schools. New leaders awarded the Shoemaker campus the prestigious Epic Award for three consecutive years as being amongst the top three schools in the country for accelerating students' achievement levels. Shoemaker Campus was also recently recognized as one of the top 10 middle school and top 10 high schools in the state of Pennsylvania for accelerating the achievement levels of African American students. Learn more about Sharif's work by subscribing to his blog, philliesseventhward.org. So welcome Sharif el How are you? Great, great, great. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I am. I am. All right. So Sharif, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Yeah. So currently I'm the proud principal of Mastery Charter Shoemaker Campus in West Philadelphia. Um, it is a turnaround school serving students in grades 7 through 12. And we are part of a network of turnaround schools in Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey. But my career started 25 years ago as a teacher in Southwest Philadelphia, Turner Middle School. And I was there for 10 years, started as a teacher for eight and a half years, and then ended up being the assistant principal. And after a year and a half of doing that, I was asked to become the principal of a struggling school 
and you ended up here? I came to Shoemaker in 2008. I was intrigued by the opportunity to, one, be in another turnaround school, and it was a middle school evolving into uh, middle and high school. So we kept middle school and kept adding a grade. But it was also fascinating because it was a turnaround school in the district that I grew up in. Um, mm -hmm. I actually attended Shoemaker as an 11th grade student when I was not meeting expectations in chemistry for Mr. Kiesel's class. So I was assigned to Shoemaker. And so this was a school that I went to summer school. So to be able to serve as you know one of its leaders and its principal was just really intriguing and fascinating and inspiring to me. I jumped at the chance. You know, I still lived in the neighborhood and my mother still lives in here, siblings. And so it was a real opportunity to directly serve where I lived. You have a unique perspective, right? Because you grew up there. I grew up here when there was a middle school I used to feed into. It was the high school that I graduated from. And it also, I was very close to some of the struggles and challenges, as well as, you know, the pride points of the school community. I remember when I heard about the opening at the principalship, my initial reaction as a high school student about coming to Shoemaker for summer school was the initial thing that I thought about was the violence that was there. And so to be able to be on the other side as one of the adults responsible for making it a safe space to learn and to teach and to innovate and to build community was too great of an opportunity to pass up. So you looked at it as an opportunity to turn that around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the students who attend the school are children of my classmates at Overbrook High School and they're neighbors of myself, my siblings, my family. And so, you know, these are people that we're going to the store with and, you know, people that are walking the streets with and mm -hmm. living. And so just to be able to give back directly. Like when I first came to the district, people told me never work at schools that begin with the letter S, never work at schools that begin with the letter T. And, Why? Uh, the schools that at least they were talking about tended to be in communities that had been neglected for a long time, mm -hmm. communities that were struggling with poverty and violence and schools mm -hmm. that were messaged to be dysfunctional, at least, and having high numbers of students of color. So it's interesting. The only schools that I've ever worked at begin with S and begin with T. And so it's also, you know, just not listening. To, you know, some people call that stubbornness, determination, and self-efficacy. And also just like how communities of color are, are spoken about in places. And so these were educators who were telling me this. And so to me, it just really struck me like how sometimes educators, you know, they would say that they were looking out for a new teacher, right? And, mm -hmm. and you know, a new person into the profession. And they were trying to make his life and job easier. But what I took from it was how we can be oppressive in our language and how we can have a negative mindset about communities at times. So, you know, I had nothing but love for Turner Middle School, Shaw Middle School, and now Shoemaker Middle High School. Sharif, what's impressive is that you had a vision, even when the environment and the people that were speaking into your life didn't. I had the benefit of being surrounded as a youth about people who really believed in community and looking at struggles as opportunities and looking at dysfunction, not blaming the victims of oppression, mm -hmm. not blaming the victims of marginalization, uh, but really looking at like, all right, how do we support community and how do we be responsible for our communities? How do we lead and serve in our communities? And so being surrounded by parents and teachers who not only believed that, but lived that every single day was just really powerful. And I hope to forever be part of my mindset and my actions. 
I love that. It's asking yourself, what's my responsibility here? And then taking action. Great. All right. So how would you describe your leadership style? I would describe it as what I'm attempting. My vision of my leadership is to be a servant leader, Mm -hmm. uh, to really look at opportunities like who are people who are closest to the problem and how do I help them in their work? How do I help remove barriers and boulders from their path? How do I support them into being able to work faster, more efficiently, more effectively? Like a common question, what should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I continue doing? It's part of the back loop that I asked our team. I read a quote a long time ago that it just has always resonated with me that effective leaders are working hard to build more leaders, not more followers. Right. And so that has always just really resonated with me. And that's how I kind of grew up in the school as a first year teacher. I had a principal and a leadership team at Turner Middle School. Dr. Charles Alfonso and his team were just really effective at teacher leadership and supporting people and building on their strengths and and really putting them in positions to win on behalf of students. Because if those who serve students are winning, then students should be winning as well. And Mm -hmm. that was their belief and philosophy. So I'm trying to, you know, continue that practice in my own school. When you mentioned, um, let me just clarify. So you ask those you lead what you should stop doing, what you should start doing, what you should continue to do or, okay, so you ask them and so they give you feedback on that. They give me feedback, yeah. An idea is like the feedback loop that Mm -hmm. if I'm here to serve you, that I'm serving you in ways that you also need to be served, not just my vision of like, oh, this is what you need. Um, I think it's important that leaders are asking many questions and listening even more. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's just a really important part of a culture of a school and not just for the principal, but that that's the feedback loop that is happening in many, many convergent circles. I want to speak a little bit about teacher leadership. I started this podcast about two years ago, and I've been hearing that a lot, teacher leadership. I've always thought that teachers were leaders, but I don't think they thought of themselves in that way. So what has shifted? Because traditionally, when we brought that to teachers, there was a divide, right, between teachers and administration. And part of what I would hear is, oh, you're going to the dark side (laughs) in that transition, right? And you may not have experienced that is the truth, but I did. So what has shifted? Tell me a little bit about teacher leadership. I think several things. Like one, I thought it was a redundant term the way, Mm -hmm. you know, my first 10 years of being at my placement school and my eight and a half years of teaching, like wasn't a term that we used, but I think it was also pretty pervasive in Turner Middle School that teachers were leaders. And so it wasn't necessary to be redundant in Mm -hmm, the conversation. mm -hmm. I think a couple of things are changing. I think before people were looking for these charismatic leaders, but what they saw was when that leader left the building, no matter how effectively they led, that things were not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so they saw that in schools, they saw it in business research with how is good to grade and what executive five leadership looks like, that things are sustained and that there's a deeper leadership and it's more pervasive and not tied up into one person in one office and one position. So I think realizing that a single person cannot drive the outcomes that are necessary that children and communities deserve a couple of people can't do that. You really need a strong, cohesive unit Mm -hmm. uh, within a school community to really do the work on behalf of and in partnership with communities and families. And so the idea of this one person in this all-knowing principle, this all-powerful position will just make things happen. It's just false. It goes into a narrative of what strong leaders look like, but 
quite often, and you see it in many different ways, the authoritarian doesn't always right. get the best results. And I think a lot of people kind of grew up with this notion of that strong leadership look like, but it's not sustainable and it doesn't inspire the way that you would want it to inspire most of the time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, to really work on behalf of families and communities means that you're engaging and you're working, you're getting ideas, hopefully that you're hiring people that are really brilliant and really effective and really committed. So why wouldn't you want to engage them in the problem solving with all the complexities that leading schools and leading organizations have? Which is why you focus on creating more leaders. Exactly. Perfect. Sharif, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? That's a great question. You know, I've been inspired by so many different leaders. You know, obviously the principal that I had when I started teaching and others, you know, did a lot, you know, where I actually assumed that this is what every school looked like. This is how every leader operated. It wasn't until later in my career that I realized that, you know, that was a really special place that in my head, I'm like, okay, how do we continue across systems, replicate those kind of things? But I'm also inspired by so many of our teachers, you know, like how they lead their classrooms, helping the new teachers see themselves as that leader. Like we have teachers who have 30 kids in the classroom. They teach five cohorts of students. That's a lot of students. That means you're leading. Right. You can't look at yourself any other way. Like, you know, there was a joke going around on the Internet where to tell teachers who say, oh, well, I'm just a teacher. That's like Clark Kent saying he's just Superman, right? <laughs> like it doesn't make sense to just That's right. downplay the magnitude of your work, the magnitude of your impact. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, some of our founding teachers who are actually still at our school 12 years later, they inspire me and so many others, how they think about children, how they lead, how they break down issues, how they motivate students, like so many of the things that they bring to the table in their classroom. I'm like, oh, that's something I could use for the entire school, mm-hmm. entire community. A lot of the leaders that I really have looked up to over the years started their work with a social justice lens, being able to operate from love and dedication problem solving and execution. All of those things bringing those to the forefront of their work. Those are the leaders that have just inspired me for decades. Sharif, this is why we're doing what we're doing, because the importance of educators, the importance of knowing and understanding the influence you have on the students. You know, we're educating the future. You said it, the magnitude. We sometimes don't understand the magnitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Like sometimes I'll have conversations with people who are not educators and they get that it's hard. They get that it has an impact. You know, one of the reasons I like really started writing more is because there were so many people who just didn't understand all the issues that our society is challenged by. Schools can't do it alone. I never, mm-hmm. you know, preach that they can. But the fact that they are can be a catalyst for massive change in our country. I'm inspired by leaders who have a high level of self-efficacy, that they believe in the work, but they also believe in the people that they're leading, and that it's an honor to be in a position to lead them, but also to work with them. And those are the type of leaders that I've you know, been around over the years that just inspired me, that showed me what the work looks like on the ground, what it looks like to be a partner, what it looks like to lead leaders who are actually leading with the best intentions in mind, but also being sensitive about any ramifications, how to harm less and how to actually serve as they're leading. And there are different mm-hmm. types of leadership and some people think they're leading and they're just taking a walk. 
Um, <laughs> and nobody's actually following them. Being able to lead also means sometimes not leading. It means giving the reins over to someone else and playing second fiddle, so to speak. Being humble and saying mm -hmm. like, you know what? You actually know this a lot better than me. I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn and I'm going to, you know, help clear barriers out of your way. You know, leaders who are humble in their work and effective and are just constantly learning how to do things better, how to do things in ways that honor the people that they're in mm -hmm. position to serve. You mentioned figuring out how we can harm less. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I think sometimes people, when they're in positions, especially positions of power, they're not sensitive about what that means. They're not sensitive to learning context. And they come into the room with already knowing, like, this is how I'm going to solve this without listening enough, without hearing people enough, without valuing other people's experiences, context, opinions. And I think when that happens, we've seen it like historically how people have done major harm thinking, no, I was leading and I was solving a problem. When you're actually creating problems, you're creating chaos in your leadership, you were dishonoring communities that you claim to be in service to. So I think that that's harming less, having that idea like, you know, it's not just helping, it's making sure that the people that I'm serving are not being undermined their own right. work, their own efficacy, their own self-determination mm -hmm. isn't being compromised by me with my brilliant ideas and my leadership title. And so I mm -hmm. think leading with humility is just a big part of effective leadership. A lot of times leaders give the opposite message, be gung-ho and be the hero and be out front and do as I say, all of that kind of thing is a lot of messages that leaders here from a very young age. And so mm -hmm. speaking the opposite and demonstrating the opposite is valuable. What you're saying is very valuable because historically we in education haven't really been taught true effective leadership skills. Like you said, we get handed down advice from traditional leadership and the way it's been done in education, which isn't really serving well. And so when you say harm less, it speaks to me because we don't see ourselves. And when we have that responsibility of serving other people, that's a great responsibility. And we need other people speaking into our lives to make sure that we're not harming. Exactly. And you brought up the point of the hierarchy that a lot of schools have traditionally been in, what that means and who's the boss. And I've had people who transferred in and told me things like, well, I'm not used to giving the principal feedback or I'm not used to having access to the principal. And I was mm -hmm. just like, you know, what? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> How did your school operate without access to the principal and the rest of the leadership team? Mm -hmm. You know, like what are these artificial barriers that we're creating that undermine success? There's research out there that says, Students achieve more where there's more distributed leadership. Right. And so knowing that both anecdotally as well as hard data, it would be foolish to create this hierarchy. And for me, the leadership, the main part of it is like I am the main person responsible for the outcome of our 770 students. And I'm not going to make excuses about that. But also mm -hmm. know that distributed leadership is the most effective way for us to collectively reach our goals. It is kind of mind-blowing to think that it's operated very hierarchy yeah, and still yeah, yeah. for so daggone long. We really want to disrupt that, don't we? Absolutely. <laughs> disrupt it, not only by example, but the next generation of leaders right. really seeing, hey, there's a different paradigm to operate from. There's a different mm -hmm. way to look at things. And this is my experience in driving to our outcomes with a team and definitely not a particular position yeah. to navigate this work.
Sharif, and it's not just the next generation, but the older generation can learn to do that. These are things we can learn. When I started this, I thought of what's my responsibility here. I mean, I saw the dysfunction. I've been in education for over 25 years. I've seen the old school kind of thing, but I've also studied leadership deeply. And so I saw the need. And so that's why I started this, because my question was, what is my responsibility here? And how can I help navigate us in a different direction or be a part of that conversation? So this is why we're having these conversations. And so yeah. I love the new generation that's coming up, mm -hmm. but I also value the knowledge and the understanding of the old generation because they can help us navigate and we can all work at it together. So that's, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So I know that you write. Tell yeah, us about that. Just recently, you know, maybe a year ago, last spring, started a blog called Philly's Seventh Ward. Mm -hmm. Like Philly's short for Philadelphia, P-H-I-L-L-Y-S, number mm -hmm. seven, T-H-W-A-R-D, phillyseventhward.org. And most of it is around educational issues and really trying to shine a light on the complexities of working in schools, working in urban environments, what happens adjacent to schools, how do we bring justice and equity to the forefront of our work and how do we, you know, really challenge notions. You know, what I found over the years was there were so many people who had opinions about schools, who had opinions about charter schools or traditional schools, and a lot of them had never even been inside of one. And so they were basically forming opinions off of folks a lot of times who were not educators, you know, what may have been in the newspaper, not realizing like that oh, there are educators out there who are doing the work that you can also access and have conversations with. So started that blog and, you know, really just been enjoying having conversations, cross-posting interesting articles and sharing my experiences of the past 25 years and beyond because I also speak about experiences as a student as well. So it's been fun. A lot of opportunities to interact with people through my writing. And yeah, I just saw you in an interview with Sarah Brown Wessling, who yeah, has been on yeah. our podcast as well. Fantastic. That was on Facebook Live and you did a great job. Thank you. Hey leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. Master Leadership at Schools podcast program will help prepare your students for any future they encounter. Teachers and students learn effective leadership and podcasting skills to create a platform that's an incubator for leadership, innovation, collaboration, and creativity. See this in action at masterleadership.org forward slash MLS and find out how to bring this to your organization. That's masterleadership.org forward slash MLS. So Sharif, can you tell us what's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice around leadership that I've received is some of like what we've spoken about, being a good listener. I think the other one, like one of my favorites is around the idea of courage and, you know, what does courage look like? How to be flexible and courageous at the same time, stand for something that you believe in and also keeping an open mind because what you believe in adamantly there may be room for improvement right. in your thought process. And so being able to have both, be able to hold two truths at the same time and work to a decision that you uh, serve. And the other thing I've heard about was just this idea of, you know, sometimes the walls aren't to keep you out. It's to see how bad you want in. And, you know, being a nimble and agile in your pursuit to be the best leader and partner that you can be.
Love that. Thank you so much. Now, what does it mean to have a good team and how do you build and sustain one? So having a team is the most important part of, of leadership, you know, in my mm -hmm. opinion, building a cohesive unit, being aligned in um, not only like the work, but in the belief in the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think having a good team and how do you continue to develop it is one, respecting this mm -hmm. top talent, the folks on the team, how they make it dynamic and how the whole is really better than parts. What does that actually look like? How do you make each team member feel valued? How do you make sure that each team feels like, you know what, it's not just the principal's vision, this is our collective vision. And mm -hmm. by creating that, by creating this ecosystem that reinforces that, it again speaks to that distributed leadership. You know, people want to feel valued. People want to feel heard. People want to feel mm -hmm. respected. People want to feel challenged. Like my work is not easy and it's really important. It's really mm -hmm. complex. And I actually have to bring my A game to do this work. Mm -hmm. I think those are all ways to help support the leadership team. I'm so blessed to have a team that, you know, we've been working together for, you know, seven, eight years. Most of my leadership team actually taught in this building, in the school at some point before they became part of the formal leadership team. And we also recognize we have the formal positions as well as the informal who just like, you know, I don't want that formal role, but this is how I'm going to contribute massively to mm -hmm. our school community. And we have so many people who do that. I've just finished meeting with a first year teacher who not only was giving me uh, valuable feedback, but was also helping to lead initiatives. You know, she's nine months in the teaching mm -hmm. and playing a leadership role in our school. And that's the dynamic experience and atmosphere that serves our community. And it also, to me, it seems like you really work on cultivating trust. I mean, that's the groundwork for any forward progress. You know, not only trust that everyone's going to do the best of their ability to do their job, but that it's also safe. I may make a mistake and I want to be able to trust that I'm going to receive the feedback, but I'm also, you know, still part of the team. I'm not going to be disparaged or spoken about in rumors and things like that. That's where, as educators, you know, we talk about this, you know, we're intellectuals doing emotional work right. and during those emotional times like how are we still supporting how do we still make sure that we're having a positive mindset about the work and about the people that we serve and about our colleagues and teammates we can't just take it for granted like these are things that we have to continue to nurture continue to have open doors and straight talk about it's like hey i you know i was upset when x happened you know and, right, but right. i'm talking to you directly about it i'm not simmering and speaking about it in you know some other space that doesn't solve the problem with our team we talk about not triangulating things unnecessarily what that means mm -hmm. is I have a problem with you, but instead of going directly to you, I'm going to a third party and just creating this weird triangle. And that person is now going back to the person that I was offended by to say, hey, this is what, like, no, like we don't have time for this. The work is too hard. We don't have time to create triangles. Go directly to the source, speak to the person, be direct and nice, and let's see if we can solve the problem. And if we can't, then let's, you know, bring other people in. 99% of the time, like it can be solved if people feel comfortable enough have a conversation which is mindset is about being an adult there's also like no matter what your role is that's leadership to be able to say like right. hey you know i felt slighted in this position and the person can say i didn't even realize that i'm so sorry instead of you stewing for it and just 
talking about it mm-hmm. is unproductive. And it's also, we got to remember we're modeling for students. Yes, yes. So if we're adults doing this, then we're going to fuss at students for starting on. Being, like, yeah, like, acting like middle schoolers, right? Yeah, adults do that, you know? So yes. we have to... We have to hold ourselves accountable. You know, and I just had feedback today from some of the leadership team about how we can be even more effective as leaders, mm-hmm. um, how we can make sure that we don't get siloed in our departments, doing the work and running at a very fast pace, but not taking the time to pause and making sure that we're over communicating with each other as well as with our teams. We're going to be doing some things differently. It seems like you keep a pulse on what's going on and it's very refreshing I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) No, that's all we can do, right? We can keep moving forward and learning and growing. I love that. All the social emotional skills that you're talking about, that's all leadership skills. And the hardest person to lead is always ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So Sharif, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Yeah, I guess I'll talk about one that like kind of led me not directly but indirectly into teaching and education after graduating from college i was shot during a football game wow uh, the brother didn't appreciate how he was tackled and got into an altercation with him wait you and, were playing football yeah we were playing football i tackled someone he got angry but what i didn't realize was he had friends in the stands who jumped over the fence brandishing weapons which i didn't see till the very last minute so i was shot two or three times and i was in the hospital for about a month you know where they were like just surgery after surgery you know like wow. 12 plus surgeries and you know i'm just fortunate and blessed to not have succumbed to the wounds and still be here to <laughs> sorry i guess my work's not done here Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that was a, a real challenge, you know, like so many factors, like one I just graduated from college. So, you know, I'm excited about life, this new chapter. At that time, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, after the incident, just really reflecting and thinking about like, okay, how do I serve the community best? Is it really through the legal way or is it working with folks like the guy who shot me? You know, he was a middle school dropout. A lot of people talk about high school dropout. He never made it to high school. Access to guns, anger management, frustration, you know, things like that. How do I jump into that world? And so I started at a place called the Youth Study Center that was basically a kiddie jail for youth who've been accused of crimes and they're waiting to be adjudicated by the courts. Mm-hmm. And so they're in this big holding facility. And I didn't even make it through orientation. I was just like, this is not what I wanted to do. This is not what I envisioned. And they obviously need great people and staff. The position I was hired for was a a counseling position. But, you know, to me, it was just too depressing Mm -hmm. seeing 12-year-olds. And one of the last trainings was checking their rooms to make sure that they were not committing suicide and things like that. I was just like, wow, these are 12-year-olds. Like, where are they before they get here? And right at that time, someone called me about the school district of Philadelphia was recruiting black men to get training and professional development to become teachers. Mm -hmm. And so that really excited me, even though I had never thought about that a day in my life before that. So I started exploring that route, went back to school, and the following year started my journey as a teacher. One of my biggest challenges is just rippled in so many ways in my life like my outlook and my interactions in the community and things. So this happened at a very young age. How did you shift from, I imagine, the hurt, the anger, into I want to serve people like this, people like the ones who harmed me? Even at wanting to be a lawyer, I wanted to fight for social justice issues. So mm-hmm. this idea of like social justice, both my parents, they met and married in the Black Panther Party. So like just this 
always this idea of community <laughs> mm-hmm. and giving back. So I, I don't even know if I had a choice. Like, you know, we, we mm-hmm. were constantly reminded of like, you're responsible for your community. How are you uplifting your community? How are you giving back? And mm-hmm. so whatever career that I went into, I think it was going to be in that kind of uh, space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, one of the things that was really interesting with the young man was learning that he had a son mm. and that he was going to jail, but he had like a two-year-old son. And like, what does this cycle mean? What is this son? Like that space, here's this youth who's going to grow up not having his father in proximity. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, what does this mean? And how do we go about this as a community? Sometimes things happen for a reason. I didn't come to the conclusion that I should be a teacher independently, despite the fact that my mother was a teacher. So I lived with a teacher and it still never crossed my mind. But I think with all the things happening and receiving a call and saying, hey, you know what? Have you ever thought about teaching? Have you ever thought about leading a classroom? And I said, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, you know what? That two-year-old one day is going to be in school. Mm-hmm. Like This is a way for me to proactively engage around issues that were just near and dear to me. And like mm-hmm. education was always important to me. Literacy was always important to me. And communication and problem solving and conflict resolution, all of these can live in a classroom, in a school. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really led me to teaching. It wasn't direct, but I think if I wasn't laid up in the hospital, I wouldn't have been thinking about all these things at once. I would have been thinking about law studying for mm-hmm. law school mm-hmm. application. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, you've chosen, of course, one of the greatest professions from oh, my absolutely. perspective in the world. Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? That's a really tough question. I think I'm still like chasing after <laughs> our greatest success. But I think, you know, one of the things that speaks to me a lot are our alumni and them mm-hmm. coming back and talking about them pursuing their dreams. And that's like one of the goals that we have as educators is like supporting students so that when they leave us, that they feel like, you know what, I'm able to and I'm prepared to take the next steps in the life and my vision for myself. Mm-hmm. I think another success I'm really proud about are the uh, teachers that I've taught in the past and seeing them now leading their own classrooms. So that's one of the things that will make me smile the fastest, I think, mm-hmm. is just seeing that and like, wow, you were my student. That's like, right. You. You're like, you're leading <laughs> a classroom. That's like, right. wow, that's amazing. You know, that's pretty and cool. Seeing that. And then I, I think there's so many students that show such resiliency. And then when they have the tools and the shields to navigate life, despite the trauma, despite the circumstances, still mm-hmm. pursuing their dreams is just really amazing to me because you know society especially students of color really try to beat them down in, in so many different ways so many messages about that they're not worthy of, but to see students resist that and mm-hmm. if we play a little part of that and then having a positive racial identity not only the opportunities but the skill set to drive their own narrative to drive their own plans it's really humbling i cherish those moments every last one of them That certainly is a way to see how successful one has been. And it speaks to what you were talking about before, where your focus is to create more leaders. Teachers are known by their students and students are known by their teachers, right? And so mm-hmm. like it's a ecosystem, it's a cycle, it's a partnership. Mm-hmm. And so when we're doing well, then students can exhibit that. When they're doing well, it reflects on us as well. So. Yeah, that's right. Now, Sharif, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I would say, one, if you're discouraged, take a couple minutes, pull yourself together. Like you can't stay in that space. Your affect is important. Your mindset is important. You know, how you interact with people, even at your lowest points. 
but then looking to see like, okay, how can I positively impact this? Who can I bring along with me? Who's on board? Who's close to being on board? But then really starting with the reflection of like, what can I do? What do I own? Really looking at that. So I think it really starts with us as leaders and taking ownership of that. And then from there, start problem solving. Reflection time is alone, but problem solving doesn't always have to be alone. And so figuring out like, okay, who can help me solve this? Who can yeah. help me address this? I think a lot of times new leaders feel like, you know what, I'm under the spotlight. I have to figure out, I have to show how brilliant I am. And, you know, part of being courageous is saying, you know what, I actually don't know, but I'm going to work hard to try to figure it out and I need your help. You know, I love that you said that. And I think that's why I put this question in there, because we can't operate alone. This area where new leaders feel discouraged, and you said it perfectly, sometimes we feel like we have to know all this. And having a coach or a mentor speak into our lives, that's really important. You know, we get caught up in the perception of what leadership is, right? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you're the boss. You're supposed to know everything. And I'm like, no, I don't. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's so funny because it's reinforced in so many ways. Even students, they'll ask me a question about something, you know, like some detail about something about their experience at the school. And I'm like, you know what? I actually don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're supposed to be the principal. I was like, I am supposed to be the principal and I got a team and I don't know what room you're supposed to be in right now at 8.30. Like it's, it's seven hundred right. kids in there. Like I'm not going to pretend that I know. But adults will do the same things. So why don't you know like what's being served in the cafeteria? Like, I don't know. Like, let's go find out. Like, you know, like. Google it. Yeah. Like, but if we're not careful, we can get caught up in that and That's have right. that expectation for ourselves too which is really, it will undermine our work because we won't reach out. We won't try to engage other folks. We won't build the teams that we need. And we just won't be as efficient and as effective as possible. Yeah. So Sharif, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? Yeah, so lifelong learners is learning from the cradle to the grave. And what I'm learning right now, this has been helpful because one of the things I've thinking about like how to be a more effective leader next year, how to build a stronger leadership team. We have new folks coming on. And one of the things we've been in a position where we haven't had a lot of turnover. So we have a couple of positions that we have to fill. And so I really need to relearn how to onboard new teammates and mm-hmm. colleagues and like, how do we make their lives super effective and how do we support them in the best possible way? So that's one thing. The other thing I'm learning and reading up one is the idea of high school redesign. We're 12 years old now, and we want to be able to continue to be innovative and support students in the best way possible. And so we received feedback from alum that we think was really valuable about how to support our graduates before they leave us. Like, what does it take to be a 21st century ready student? Like, how to prepare that? What does it mean if I'm not interested in college, but I still have post-secondary plans? So I've been working with an organization, Education Leaders of Color, as well as Transcend, just reading a lot just to really understand it's better, talking to students a lot just to say like, hey, what would make your experience here better? What are your goals and pursuits? And how many things do we have that are traditional, but it won't necessarily set you up for the questions that haven't been asked yet and the problems that no one has solved yet? Like, how do we help our students prepare for that type of world? Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Sharif, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? 
Oh, it would be funding. The funding formulas for schools. As soon as we decide to fund schools and fund education of children based off of what the houses their families could afford, we are already creating, you know, mass injustice layered on top mm-hmm. of injustices mm-hmm. that already exist in our community. So I would change that drastically. I would make sure that there was equitable funding. I would make sure that there were weighted funding formulas so that students who are more in need, you know, have the supports that they should have. Right now, we have places in the same state within a couple of miles of each other where one student will receive $8,000 for their education and other schools will receive almost $30,000 for their education. And that divide, that gap, it's oppressive. And Mm -hmm. we all know about it. And it's just kind of like, well, that's what that community has. What they're really saying is that's what that community deserves. And Mm -hmm. I just have a significant problem with that. And we have to continue to push back on that narrative about Mm -hmm. that community deserves less because they're poor, because they're people of color. And that community automatically deserves better in their public schools. Mm -hmm. Um, I should not be able to go within one mile from one school to another, just crossing an artificial boundary of a street and see that one experience of a child, this kindergarten or this 11th grader, is so vastly different. It's criminal. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would change. That's what I hope to continue to try to change. Great. Well said. Thank you. Now, Sharif, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? We have some videos of students talking about the experience that it means to have a teacher of color. And these are students of color. A lot of them have gone through their K-12 experience and never had a person of color lead in their classroom. So I would encourage people to go to the website 1000 times 2025. So that's the number 1000x2025.org and check out the work that the Fellowship Black Male Educators for Social Justice is doing in Philadelphia as well as nationally. Mm-hmm. DeRay and Brittany Packnett have a podcast Pod Save the People. So I'd encourage people to listen to that. I enjoy that. And a friend of mine also has a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I forget what it's called, but her name is Ikhlas Salim, I-K-H-L-A-S, Salim, S-A-L-E-E-M. And if they Google her, her. I listened to the one the other day and it was really fascinating. So, Mm. um, and I hope people read my blog. I love the feedback and engaging people online about different issues around equity and justice in our schools. And one more. People should listen to Master Leadership. A good friend of mine, William Anderson, was on and and other people that we have in common have been on and and been able to speak to issues to support leadership, the idea of leadership. And And what you said resonated with me. It's not just new leaders, it's existing and current leaders who also should tap into this space and continue mm-hmm. to professional development. And, um, and sometimes it's just great reminders to hear about people's experiences with leadership in different contexts that may be different, but they also may be similar to ours, but either way can resonate and inform our work. Yeah, I tell you, I've learned a ton. I've been doing this for two years and every interview I learned something. So um, it's very valuable. So thank you so much for sharing that. Now, you have a lot of responsibilities. Yes. What do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? I'm Muslim, so at least five times a day I'm praying. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I find quiet space Mm -hmm. to pray, to reflect. Other times I'm reading and just thinking. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges for leaders in high-paced environments is finding the time, making the space to think. Because so many times people want answers immediately. 
and mm-hmm. we get in the habit of responding immediately. You know, you can do that sometimes, especially with experience. But quite often, we need time to think about complex issues because it'll probably require complex solutions. And so I think one of the, my most cherished times is just alone time to mm-hmm. think and meditate and just not only reflect on the day, but think about tomorrow, my responses to questions and situations and what I would do differently, what I would do the same, and just how to be better. Time to think is valuable. I like to do that as I'm learning how to garden and stuff. You know? Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, having that quiet space, it's hard to come by. It is, it is. You have to be intentional. I'm an intro- yeah, I'm an introvert by nature. And so mm-hmm. like I'm forced as my role, like I can't just be mm-hmm. holed up somewhere just thinking and reading, but it's really important. And just balancing everything, making sure that I find ways to be whole. So like, how do I connect with my family and my children and my friends? And You know, I found out recently that there is such a thing as being an ambivert. Like a combination? You can be an introvert. Like that can be your space and your area of comfort. Natural space, yeah. Your natural space. But there are situations where you're an extrovert. And so there is such a thing as being an ambivert. I tend to want to be quiet at times. Right, and then right, there are right. times where I just want to say something. Yes, and that might be where I am. And that is interesting. Like it's always been easier for me with students to be extroverted. Um, I'm always talking trash and joking with them and asking them about their days and their classes and their experiences and stuff. And then, mm. Yeah. Great. Okay. So if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? I would say don't try to tackle everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like really try to prioritize. And I still find it hard. So I would not only be telling the younger me, I would be telling it to me today as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but just really... Sometimes, you know, slower is better. Um, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we're ambitious and trying to work on behalf of people and knowing that there's so many needs in our communities that sometimes we're just really trying to take on so much Mm -hmm. and like to do things well, then we probably have to take a couple of things off our plates, you know, not lower expectations, but just being strategic about expectations. That's great advice. Thank you. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? I would just really encourage our leaders to continue to learn. I think that's just one of the most important things. Like we never stop learning. We never perfect leadership. Uh, we get better at it. We have more experiences. We have more varied experiences and opportunities, but we never perfect it. And so I think constantly looking at like, how do we execute better? How do we communicate better? How do we inspire more? Uh, how do we become more effective or just uh, things that are on a continuous growth cycle and to never stop the feedback loop? When you're looking for feedback, don't just find the loudest voice that will always find you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Find the voices that are muted or silent, who are reluctant. That's really who we need to speak to far more often than we do as a body of leaders. Sharif, I want to thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. It's been so much fun. Same here. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I look forward to listening to many more uh, podcasts on master leadership. Have an amazing day. Thank you. You too. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.